Welcome to the Cold Brew Podcast. It is March 24th. I am Dave Gasper, joined, as always, by Matt Carroll. And, of course, we are the editors at ReviewingTheBrew.com. Spring training games are back. We talked about this on last week's episode. You know, baseball's back, and, you know, now we finally get some spring training games. Uh, we've got them on TV. Bob Uecker's voice is over the airwaves once again. Um, Matt, it feels so good to, to be watching the games, to hear Bob Uecker, Jeff Levering, all these guys. It just it, it heals the soul. It, it does. It's, it's been great for every step of the way, getting to hear another broadcaster's debut or see another player's debut, um, or to hear Bob Uecker tell a story about how he allegedly arm wrestled nori aoki's interpreter at home plate of miller park one day apparently and also won in five minutes as a i'm sure 75 year old or whatever he was at the time <laughs> that's just that's just stuff i've been waiting to hear this spring so like we have officially kicked off baseball now that we've got a crazy bob euchre story oh yeah no shortage of them um and it's just, it's so fun to hear. I mean, especially as, you know, these spring training games, you know, they can sometimes drag on and, you know, all the starters are kind of out. So the broadcasters are just kind of filling uh, as you got some, uh, you know, minor leaguers in there. But, you know, also that's one of my favorite things about spring training too, is that we get a chance to look at some of these minor league prospects and get them into games. I mean, last year, I mean, Garrett Mitchell really kind of uh, came up from being that first round pick and had an amazing spring. And all of a sudden everyone's like, whoa, super excited. You know, I was more excited to see him hit than it was to see Christian Yelich hit. I mean, that's really <laughs> kind of where, where I was at at that point. Um, so, I mean, we're seeing a lot of these Brewers prospects uh, playing in spring training. And just recently this past week, MLB.com released their new Brewers top 30 list. Uh, that they've been holding off on during the lockout because, you know, MLB official stuff and all that kind of stuff. But the lockout's now over, so new top 30 lists are out. So we decided we wanted to talk uh, about the Brewers' top 30. And who better to talk about it with than the guy who made the list himself, and that is Sam Dykstra of MLB.com. He joins us here on the Colbert Podcast. Sam, are you are you tired from, from writing this list and, and all these lists and, and pouring them over? How you doing, man? I mean – First off, thanks so much for having me, guys. And, and second, uh, I think I'm more energized by the time the lists are out because I've had these lists for so long. And we were talking before, like I've been tinkering with them, moving guys around, writing about these guys. But I'm just happy to see them out and see other people dive into them and hopefully enjoy them and, and debate them and all that kind of thing. I'm more energized by that part um, now that we are here. But if you talk to me a week ago, I'd be like, yes, I'm very tired of the top 30 <laughs> list. I just want, I want them out. Now they are. And it's a, it's a great time uh, for baseball. Yeah. It, it's something that, um, I mean, when you're making a prospect list, I mean, I, I make a, I make a prospects list for prospects 1500. Uh, and that one is 50 deep. Um, although I don't go quite as in depth on each you know individual player as, as you do over there. Um, but you know, still like coming up with these lists, looking at all the prospects, guys going up, going down, um, you know, it, it's really kind of, you know, a, a tough and long process sometimes what's really kind of your, uh, thought process when, when you're, when you come to the, the brewer system and you're looking at these guys, what, what's kind of your process in, in terms of how you're going to rank, uh, the, the top 30 guys? Well, I mean, we start, thankfully, you know, we have our top thirties at the end of last year. So you know, we do a preseason list, we do a midseason re-rank. Um, so we still have our midseason top 30s from last year. And then it's 
Those have all the new draft picks and everybody, including that. They don't have international signees. Um, so those are somebody we have to add to the list. But it's kind of just sorting through it and, and getting an idea of how good was this player this year if it's a new draft pick. We don't put too much weight into how they did in the minors, but still, how did they do? Was there anything surprising there? Uh, and then it's kind of sorting from there. And then you start to reach out to sources. You might, everybody's process is different and it depends on the list. Sometimes I'll, I'll shake out a top 30 and reach out to sources and say, Hey, how does this work? Who should I move up and down? Sometimes it, you want to just go out and say, like, let's get all the information and try to hammer it out later. Um, it kind of depends on the list. It, it depends on how deep the list is. It depends on how shallow the list is. This Brewers one, I really like the top of it. The, the top of it was really easy to kind of sort through and, and figure out everybody's strengths. It's, it was really difficult for that middle and back third um, and trying to figure out who deserved to be on here, who had good enough years and who was kind of falling off and, and where do we stop them from falling off. Um, before we dig into kind of some of the specific players on the list, um, and if you're not allowed to share this, that's fine. Um, but the Brewer system has gone – from being ranked near the absolute bottom of the league, starting to work their way up towards the kind of mid to higher twenties. Um, do you see them kind of still sitting in that area? Once um, I know you guys uh, start to release the organizational rankings here soon, or what can Brewers fans kind of start to expect um, with them being compared to some of the other organizations across the league? Yeah, we, we will be coming out with our farm system rankings next Tuesday. Um, and then we're rolling them out in waves I believe the first wave is 16 to 30. So I can pretty comfortably tell you that the brewers are going to be in there. Um, I don't think we've quite hammered down exactly where they're going to be, but I mm. think in that maybe like 20 to 25 range, um, it, like opinions differ on who this brewer system is. I like it a little bit more than and some other people, just because again, I like those first 10 names. Um, and you know, sometimes you look at some of these other systems, it's tough to even come up with five, at least the brewers have 10 to really like, um, I think it is definitely improved. Even if we end up ranking it around that 25 mark, I think it's certainly improved, uh, from years past, just because when you have breakout names, like a Joey Weimer, when you have Freelich, when you have Aaron Ashby, you know, in the conversation for one of the best left-handed pitching prospects in the game right now, you, there's enough to like here, uh, and, uh, as compared to years past when it was kind of like really dragging up some names and, and trying to find reasons to be excited. You don't have to try anymore. You can find them pretty easily. Yeah, absolutely. And and there's, you know, plenty of reasons to be excited about that future outfield because the Brewers just love to get them some talented toolsy outfielders. They're all over this system, Sam. Um, and not surprisingly, you have an outfielder at the top uh, of the list. Number one, Sal Freelich. Uh, the first round pick this last year, you know, previously Garrett Mitchell was at the top uh, at, at number one at last year's midseason. Um, so for, for Freelich, what pushed him to the top for you? I mean, obviously, you know, first round pick, you know, that's, that's obviously a great start for anyone. Um, but then also, I mean, he enters uh, minor league, the minor leagues last year and uh, well, he did all right. Uh, you know, he, he kind of hit the ground running. Um, so what, what really kind of, uh, made you look at, at Sal free with me? Like, this is the, the number one guy on, on this, uh, on this list. Yeah. I mean, for him, it, and it pains me to say this, I should say he is a Boston college guy. I am a Boston university guy. 
So I don't easily <laughs> say the strengths of a BC kid, but Freelich, um, what we really like about him, obviously he's not very big at five foot nine, but he's a plus hitter from the left side, plus plus run tool. Um, seems like the defense really improved over the years. I believe he's the ACC defensive player of the year last year. Um, so all the pieces are there for him to be kind of a prototypical top of the lineup guy. Is he going to show a lot of power? Probably not. Um, but when you're talking about a, a, him versus a Garrett Mitchell, and, you know, who we thought Garrett Mitchell could be. Okay, we've seen him in the minor league so far. Feel a little less comfortable that he's going to be a plus hitter. Um, yeah, the speed is there. Yeah, the defense is there. We just feel a little bit better that Freelich is going to hit, um, and that's what allowed him to, to climb to the top spot. And then when you look at, you know, who he's just ahead of in, in Weimer and Ashby, and I'm sure we'll get to those guys later, but we have just some more questions about those. Freelich, it's pretty easy to see exactly who he's going to be at every stop. He's going to be a guy who hits around 300. He's going to guy, be a guy who steal bases, provides value with the glove. Um, there's just a lot to like there, and that's why you know he kind of rises to the top here heading into his first full season. Yeah, I mean, speaking of uh, Joey Weimer then next, um, he comes in at number two, not surprising because he just squeaked onto that top 100 that was released uh, previously. Um, you know, he's an interesting case. He kind of – he was Brewers drafted him knowing they were going to have to work with him. Um, they did, and it worked, obviously. Um, he absolutely busted out. Um, we've talked about it a number of times here. Um, but, you know, now he gets, you know, to that rough double-A level where um, you see, was it a, you know, just a season, or are these adjustments, you know, going to carry forward through his career? What leads you to believe that he is going to be able to continue doing that to the point where you did elevate him all the way up to number two? Yeah, I mean, coming out of the draft, coming out of Cincinnati for Joey Weimer, it was the the raw power is there. Why is he not tapping into it? Why is he not as good of a power hitter as everything would suggest based off BP looks and all that? And, you know, the the Brewers tried to keep him as close to who he is as possible, but they, they uh, allowed for some adjustments. They allowed him to kind of play more into his hands because his hands are a lot better. It, it was more of a toe tap. It wasn't a huge leg kick. Um, that was one of the adjustments they made and that allowed him to see the ball a lot better and lift it better. I mean, that's the huge thing with him is he can make hard contact, but if he's hitting it straight into the ground, as he was at Cincy, you're not going to get these 20 plus homer seasons that he's certainly capable of. Um, so seeing those adjustments, I saw some people not criticizing us, but just, um, questioning, you know, when the list came out, yeah, we were only played at low A and high A last year. And as a college guy, he should be performing at those levels. I get that. Um, but the changes that he had made certainly feel sustainable. Now we'll see what happens with him when he gets to double A this season, because uh, the way I described it in the write-up was that he's got a tornado like swing. I mean, he's a grip it and rip it guy. You, I'm sure there's going to be uh, people who you know work better on sequencing, work better with control at double A AA and triple A who might be able to take advantage of it. But considering he's now showing power, the arm is probably the best in the system. It's crazy. Really enjoyed seeing it. In brief looks last year in the AFL, uh, the speed is there. As long as he's just like a 45 hitter, he's a very, very valuable player. Um, and that's why we feel really good about him heading into his second full season. We'll see if he gets challenged there at double A. But yeah, based off those adjustments, it, we felt comfortable sliding him in just to the back end there of the top one. Yeah, and we had him uh, on the podcast previously talking with him about, you know, about those changes, the toe tap. And uh, it was actually apparently Xavier Warren, fellow Brewers prospect, who made the suggestion that he gets like a little bit lower in his stance. 
uh, at the plate. And then after that, you know, that, that, that's where he turned into, um, you know, hitting all that home run power. Cause I mean, he was hitting it hard, especially for the, you know, the first month of the season, but he wasn't lifting the ball. And it wasn't until after, you know, Warren made that suggestion and he made that change in his stance that he really started seeing the power uptick. Um, and like, really like it didn't start until August, like his first half of the season. I mean, he was, he was okay. I mean, he was doing solid, but you know, nothing really spectacular, but then his final two months of the season, he just exploded. I mean, have, I don't think anyone across baseball improved their prospect stock as much as Joey Weimer did over the final two months. Have you ever seen that kind of a rise uh, that quickly over a two-month two month stretch? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I'm, there might have been somebody, but it was, it was kind of crazy. I mean, it was one of those situations where I remember we did our midseason re-rank. Uh, around July and you know you're starting to get hear some rumblings about him and like okay we're, we'll put him in the 20s like this is a good breakout by a decent draft pick and then all so I'm like okay he's firmly on my radar now and then following him at high a and I'm like this is supposed to be more challenging why is he homering every other day that's what it felt like um, he, he was definitely somebody we were very excited to see in the AFL wish we could have seen more of him um, but yeah he was every time he was on the field it felt like there was creating buzz and uh, he was one of the most exciting players. And that, that's why, you know, again, when we were seeking feedback and we were thinking, is this a top 100 guy and getting like, yeah, no, he, he very well might be. Um, it, I'm sure the entire industry is, is aware of Joey Weimer now in a way that they weren't, like you said, even maybe in May or June last year. Yeah. I mean, I, when I did a, my mid season uh, rank, my mid season relisting of, of the Brewers top 50 prospects, I had Weimer at like 31 and like, cause like mm-hmm. I submitted that article on like day two of his, of his like home run breakout. So I was like, Oh, he's had, <laughs> he's had a good two days, but like, you know, is this really, you know, sustainable or is it just, you know, a, a two day, you know, one week hot stretch. Um, so I'm just going to, you know, err on the side of keeping him lower, but no, he just, he just kept going, kept going. I'm like, okay, fine, whatever. But uh, yeah, double A is going to be the real thing this year. Cause I mean, you got all those questions like, Oh, it was two months, you know, it was low a double or low a high a, um, you know, it could have just been a really hot stretch, but if he keeps this up in double a, I mean, he's going to go from more than just a back end of the top 100 guy. I mean, he's good. He's going to go probably up into the top 50 at, at least, you know, if he keeps this up in double a, would you say he probably goes into the top 50 overall? I mean, that's where it's kind of tracking. I mean, look at, you know, the grades that we have for him now hit 45 power, 55 run or power 60, excuse me, run 55 arm 70. The, the thing that that reminds me of as I'm kind of going along them is Josh Lowe of the Tampa Bay Rays. I don't know mm-hmm. if you guys are aware of him, mm-hmm. but again, another guy who's got power, he's got speed. He's a quality defender. Lowe's more of a center fielder than I think Weimer will be, but it's kind of a similar profile. It's just, can he hit enough? And Lowe started to hit better last year at AAA and we jumped him. I think he's right at number 50 now. So that's, that's who Weimer could be. We just haven't seen him at the upper levels like we did with a Josh Lowe. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's on the track to do that. He just needs to answer, answer the remaining questions we have. And who knows, those could come very quickly here in April, May, and June. Um, so then to round out those outfielders um, in the top, and I know we're skipping our number three here, um, but you have Garrett Mitchell who drops down to number four. And he did have some struggles at double A, um, but he also, we find out um, from Brewers beat writer Adam McAlvey, 
um, that he had kind of a recurring strep issue that kind of kept coming up that really sapped him quite a bit. Um, but you did mention that there are still some concerns with him. Um, concerns coming out were whether he could tap into his raw power in game. Um, so there's that. And then you mentioned a little bit the, um, is he going to be that complete hit, uh, hitter? Is it both of those things that caused you to drop him down a little bit? Is it the, we still, you know, we get why maybe he struggled, but we, that doesn't mean we still don't need to see it at the double A level, just a combination of all those things that uh, bring him down to number four. Yeah. I mean, the, the big thing for me with Garrett Mitchell it, is that he just puts the ball on the ground so much. We were talking about this with Joey Weimer, who he was in college and why isn't he tapping into his power? Well, he puts the ball on the ground too much. Garrett Mitchell put the ball on the ground, I think, upwards of 60% of the time. Uh, and that was almost consistent between high A and double A last year. This isn't like, yeah, I, I know he got sick last year and that probably hurt his numbers. And, um, you know, double A, you're going to be challenged more there. But even when he was performing at, at high A uh, with Wisconsin, the ground ball numbers were, were pretty high. Now he can take advantage of that and, and use his plus plus speed to, to pick up some extra base hits. Um, and turn singles into doubles that way. Um, but when we're looking at who we thought he could have been, it, we thought there would be a touch more power there. Didn't really play in the first season. You know, the, you rank him number four, you kind of think like, yeah, he's still on the periphery of the top 100. He's somebody who could play his way back in there. Maybe he makes some adjustments. From what I was hearing, Milwaukee's like, no, we're kind of kind of keeping with what he is because he's been successful this way in the past, which is fine, but... Uh, you would kind of hope that there would be some adjustments coming for him so he can elevate the ball more. We have to see it. It doesn't sound like it's they're making it a huge priority. I think they just want a fully healthy season out of him first, and then they'll see it from there. But, um, yeah, just a few more questions about the bat because of that. those launch angle problems is what caused him to drop primarily. Yeah, and it's honestly to me when, it, when you talk about uh, Gary Mitchell's profile like that, it sounds a lot like, the Miami Marlins version of Christian Yelich and even the Yelich that we've seen in the last year or so where, I mean, Yelich has immense raw power. I mean, obviously we've, we've seen that we've seen him hit 40 home runs in the big leagues. Um, but you know, his first few years, he wasn't really a home run guy. He, he hit for a high average. He hit the ball on the ground a ton, uh, but he hit it hard. And, and, you know, finally, eventually after, you know, a couple of years in the big leagues, he finally w- figured out how to hit the ball into the air. Um, and he turned into, uh, an MVP, a two-time batting champ. And, you know, he hits what, like 70, 80 home runs over the span of two seasons. So, you know, I, I think that that ceiling is still there for Mitchell. And that's kind of really, um, you know, kind of circling back to Freelich as well. I mean, Freelich is more, seems like more of a high floor guy, you know, it's kind of more consistent what, you know, you can kind of expect that every single day. Mitchell, you know, the, the floor is maybe a bit lower, but the ceiling, if he does put it all together, if he is able to tap into that power, that ceiling seems to be much higher than uh, someone like Freelich. Yeah, I mean, that's something I'm sure you've thought of this, too, in, in terms of like that level of variance is something you have to take into consideration. Mm-hmm. Like we're not basing it completely on floor. We're not basing it completely on ceiling. Um, but if we know, like I was saying before, if we know basically who Freelich's going to be at every stop, and we could be wrong. Like it, he's just getting his pro careers going. Some something could happen along the way that's not going to let that happen. But you know, when you're trying to project forward, and you can pretty clearly see what Freelich's going to be, and it's going to be you know a, a decent major league center fielder. Whereas Mitchell, 
if he doesn't hit is it could be a fourth outfield type speed guy off the bench. Well, like now I'm going to feel more comfortable ranking free like higher higher. So there's every possibility. He figures that out. Like I said, like if, if I had heard that the brewers were saying, Hey, yes, this is something we've identified as a problem. We're going to work on it. We're going to try to do with him, what we did with Joey Weimer and, you know, turn this thing around. Then I'd be like, okay, I can see it. Maybe, you know, we'll, we'll maybe we'll keep Mitchell on the top 100, but right now, if, they, if they're comfortable or, you know, if he's comfortable with being this type of player, okay, well, like you said, that's going to lower the floor and, uh, you know, we'll, hopefully we get more answers this year. Well, um, Brewers have a couple of exciting young pitchers here in the top 10 between Aaron Ashby and Ethan Small. Um, Aaron Ashby fans have already gotten to see at the major league level. Um, Ethan Small, it sounds like, according to Craig Council, is not far behind the season. Um, how excited should Brewers fans be for these guys and the level that they're going to contribute in 2022? Yeah, I'm, I'm real fascinated with Aaron Ashby. Um, he was somebody who, you know, we certainly considered in the top 100 list um, just because the, the slider is very, very good. He added some velo last year. Might be some questions about, like, that velo is playing better because he's making shorter stints. I get that. Um, but all the pieces are there for him to be at least a quality major leader. Like, right now, you want to talk about a high floor. Like, we know who Aaron Ashby can be um, pretty much right away. And that's a quality left-handed pitcher out of the bullpen. Now, you know, they're talking this spring about we, we want to put him back in a starting rotation, ease him back in the way the Brewers have done for years now with some of their younger guys. So maybe, you know, it, like he might become a member of that starting rotation. And at that point, hey, if we know he's a starter, then, yeah, he's a top 100 guy. But by that point, he's going to be graduated. So, um I'm excited to see what happens with him. I, I'm a little concerned about the control numbers uh, from him. What happens when he starts to see lineups the second or third time through? Um, but the basic pieces are there. If he can figure out just average control, he's going to be a really, really good starting pitcher. Um, Ethan Small, the numbers are great. I get it. Like he was super exciting to follow last year. ERA right around two, pretty much everywhere he pitched. Um, had a quality Dominican winter league. It's fastball changeup for him. I know he's talked about it working on a slider this spring. Um, but there were times last year where he was throwing the fastball change of 85% of the time. Basically it reminded me of like high school pitchers. You talk to high school pitchers as they enter the pros and they're like, I needed two pitches and that was it to dominate in high school. And that's what Ethan small needed at the upper minors last year, which is great. It's not great for his development. He's going to need a third pitch at the major league level. Um, like I said, working on that slider, maybe it's the curveball that, that kind of lands for him eventually, but the fastball and changeup are good enough for him. The control went a little south last year. Still think it can be average. Uh, wouldn't surprise me if we look two, three years down the line and each of those guys are in the rotation. Yeah, it, it's just been an, an incredible pipeline. I mean, with those guys and really the only thing blocking them from uh, being regulars in that rotation is the fact that it's already full. I mean, you got three yeah, exactly. aces there in Burns, Woodruff, Peralta. You got two pretty quality guys and Eric Lauer and Adrian Hauser filling out that group. I mean, it's really kind of tough to, to find us find a way in um, with those guys. So, but I mean, if anyone can force it, I mean, it, it's really kind of those guys. So kind of because of the way that Brewers rotation is, is set up, you know, really none of those guys are going to be higher than, than a, the number four in the Brewers rotation, but are they like talent wise? Are they like a true number four, you know, how you would evaluate them? 
or would they be someone that you'd call like a number two or a number three type starter? But just because of the depth of the Brewers rotation, they're pushed down to four and five. I think Ashby, if that control comes around and given the improvements we saw last year, I think he could be a number three um, small, just because like I was saying before with those two pitches and that they are good enough, but like just relying on two pitches and decent control, that's more four or five territory. He would be a four or five for anybody. Uh, you need those guys. Those are great to have. It's not easy to develop just guys who can be starting pitchers. Um, but I think Ashby has that ceiling of a three, like I said, just because of the the fastball below gains, the slider, what it is, the change of what it is now. Um, those are three solid pitches and enough for him to be potentially you know, sliding behind a Burns and Woodruff uh, in that rotation, I think, at some point. Um, I know we have a couple of uh, specific guys that we want to ask about. David, you asked about one on Twitter. Mm -hmm. Um, Did we want to go over him now? Um, We can do it now. Sure. Why not? Um, (laughs) I was prepared for this one. So yeah, (laughs) because I have been the high man on the Hedbert Perez uh, train. I, I am the CEO of the Hedbert Perez hype train, as I've been so dubbed by the Carolina Mudcats on Twitter. (laughs) Um, I was just calling myself the conductor. Then they promoted me to CEO. Um, So I'm just rolling with it uh, now. So Hedbert Perez, uh, you have him down at nine. Um, You know, he started last year in in rookie Arizona, put up some good numbers, had, you know, maybe a few more strikeouts uh, than I'd like to see, Uh, but gets promoted to low A the first week. He looks, you know, really kind of a bit overwhelmed, um, you know, striking out a bunch, not really uh, heading much at all. The second week, he puts up much better numbers, but then the season's over. Um, so, you know, Heber Perez, he falls to, to nine on your list. Um, you know, you, you kind of talked on Twitter how it's, you know, kind of a mix of, of him falling a little bit and others, you know, getting better and jumping up like Weimer. Um, but, uh, really kind of what, what do you see with, uh, Hedbert Perez when you look at him and, and how he's gone from, you know, being that big international signee, uh, to now putting up numbers in the minors. Yeah. I mean, listen, I, I was very excited to see him come through the system last year and, and really start to actually see Me him too. Put, put up results. <laughs> I know, I'm sure you were. Um, but yeah, you kind of, again, you dig into the numbers and, and what he was able to do last year at the complex. And you mentioned the strikeout rate being 25%. Uh, Normally I don't try to get too worried about guys striking out at the low levels, but when somebody, somebody who we thought could be an above average hitter starts to strike out that much and then looks really fooled at low A like he did. I know it it was that first week and he adjusted in, in his second week. Um, But, you know, even some of the people with the Brewers, I was hearing like he really looked at C trying to make contact and really trying to force the issue. That could just be a learning curve. That could be something he takes. And, and, you know, now he's seen full season pitching and he's able to adjust this year. Um, But there were many more questions that I was getting uh, from folks about the hit tool than were there previously. And, you know, like I said, when we we talked on Twitter, um, it seems like the arm isn't quite there. He's trending towards left field, which means he's going to have to hit even more so. Um, He wasn't particularly aggressive on the base pass for a guy who's above average run. It seems like it's a more power-based profile right now, which is fine. You know, that, that can work in left field. Uh, and we still like him. We put him on that 50 tier, which, you know, goes all the way up to Garrett Mitchell and Aaron Ashby. Uh, but looking at who's above him, looking at guys who seem to have higher floors, seem to have 
you know, that better base of success and fewer questions. Um, he kind of slid back, but yeah, the, if the power really takes off this year, if he starts to figure it out a little bit, doesn't try to force uh, swings and, you know, doesn't get too passive at times. Uh, I think he could take off. I'm, I'm excited to see an actual full season out of him. Um, there's a reason why he's still in the top 10 here, but yeah, we just have more questions now that we've actually seen him on the field. Yeah. And that, I mean, really like his hype, I mean, definitely grew a lot considering he really hadn't played in any games, like especially like over 2020 there, like his hype just kind of seemed to really continue to grow. And it's like, we still haven't seen him play yet. And then we had to wait until like June when, when rookie ball started. Um, but I mean, yeah, like the, the speed, I was expecting a lot, you know, some more stolen bases there. Maybe he can be a bit more aggressive, um, on the base pass when he does get out there. Um, the power, you know, obviously great, but you know, I'm, I'm still a big believer in, in the headbert breakout. You know, I'm just, I'm just going to be, um, I'm, I'm the CEO of the hype train. I gotta be all up on the hype. Um, so I just. I'm doing it, but yeah, I mean, there, there's, there are definitely some concerns that popped up. It's not, unfortunately, it's not going to be a Juan Soto level rise for the system where he reaches the big leagues at 19. Um, <laughs> I'm just, I, I'm very disappointed. Was that by where that you were fact, setting though. expectations? Like, <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I was not, I was not legitimately setting that expectations, okay. but <laughs> I'm not, I'm not trying to put that kind of pressure on the kid. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm already putting enough on him. Um, but yeah, so I mean that that's just kind of um, uh, he he's definitely a, a fun one to watch though, and uh, I'm excited to see more of him this year. Uh, but another guy that's going to be closer to the big leagues that, that's also up there in that top ten, Bryce Terang. Um, he's someone that um, you know prospect lists and prospect writers have kind of looked at him you know over the past couple of years, you know since being drafted in the first round in 2018. Um, you know it's like oh can he can he stick at shortstop? Um, and it, it seems from everything that we've heard that he is able to play a very good uh, defensive shortstop. And he was, I believe, five years younger than the average age at AAA last year. And he played at AAA and he did pretty well, you know, not overpowering numbers, but um, he still hit pretty well, drew his walks, didn't strike out too much. Uh, where do you stand with uh, Bryce Terang, his future? Um, and, you know, his proximity uh, to the top 100. Well, here's the thing about Bryce Terang that I am most excited for him in 2022. Just get him to a level and let him stick there for a while. <laughs> like, you look at his AA numbers last year, age 21 season, they were kind of similar. They were pretty good. He was young, 21 years old, basically the age of a college junior. And then they bumped him up halfway through to kind of get him another challenge. I, I wish – he would just dominate a level offensively because the thing he does well is he makes a lot of contacts. Um, he takes his walks. There's just not that much power there. Now, talking to some Brewers folks, they think he can maybe get to 12, 15 homers at some point. Um, I think even 40 power is kind of being optimistic. That's where we ended up landing, but uh, we'll see how things are going to happen how he can impact the ball. I'm a little bit more pessimistic and I think that kind of holds things back. I know we had him as a 60 hit tool coming into the year. We docked him a little bit to 55 just because the quality of contact isn't there consistently. Um, but like you said, the defensive improvements, that, that was the strongest feedback I got on is that he is an actual quality defender at shortstop. Now there are fewer questions than ever about his ability to stick there. Um, 
you might still see some second base mixed in, um, but he is a quality shortstop and that, that gives him a, a pretty decent floor. Um, he just needs to hit. We need to actually see a 60 hit tool put into play. Now, if he comes, you know, goes back to triple A and, and is hitting 300 and still not striking out much and showing double digit power potential. All right. That's a top 100 guy. We just haven't seen it yet. Um, so I think that's what I'm excited about him is just, he's going back to a place that he's already been. He's never repeated a level before in his career. Um, maybe he can take those lessons from 2021 and implement them this year. Um, but, you know, the good thing is he'll probably be there for months. And that's when I get, I, I'm hoping we'll get to see the real Bryce Durang. If it's still mid 200s, 260, 270, still not striking out much, but not, you know, he's got three homers going in July. Then we can basically predict he's going to be a, a bench infielder. Um, at the major league level. I think he's going to be a major leaguer. I don't think that's in question. It's just, is he going to hit enough to be uh, an everyday type guy? And, you know, we'll, we'll see here in a couple months when he's back in Nashville. Yeah. And, and it's tough in that Brewer system because you got Willie Adamas blocking you at, at shortstop exactly. right. um, and Colton Wong there at second. So, I mean, the Brewers really have no rush for him at this point. I mean, now that they got Adamas in the picture, they've got, they've got no reason to rush, um, you know, Terang and they can let him sit there in triple a and, and develop, but you know, with Adamas under control for three years, you know, Terang, eventually he's going to be ready. Um, you know, we'll see how much power actually develops with him. But um, you know, w- with such a strong defender at shortstop, he's only going to be able to sit there for so long. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's the thing is that I think they might start getting him more work at second base just because of organizational need. But it'll be a quality defender there too, or you know, maybe he continues to develop at shortstop and. By July, we're talking about a, a major trade piece because, like I said, you know, he does hit. He's a top 100 prospect, and he holds major weight in the trade. That's valuable, too. Um, I think they're going to want to keep him at shortstop as long as they can until, like I said, he, he's forcing his way to Milwaukee with the bat, which could take a, a few months at least. Um, you know, speaking of top 10 uh, infielders, um, Brewers – snagged themselves another guy at the kind of back end in the competitive balance part of the first round um, named Tyler Black. And he actually ended up making the uh, top 10 second base prospects uh, list before the top thirties started coming out. Now, I don't know how much that maybe is a part of um, second base depth amongst prospects of people who are actually assigned that as their primary um, or not. But um, what is about him that kind of gets people excited and why he ends up landing on the top 10 as well, because, you know, when you think back to the last draft, uh, all that focus is on Sal Freelich, but um, Tyler Black, when you really look at his profile, um, is a pretty impressive guy too. Yeah. I mean, with Tyler Black, it, it starts and ends with the hit tool. I mean, that's, that's the one real true plus on his profile right now. Um, somebody who hit 383 over 48 games in his last year at, at Wright State, um, he had 13 homers, so there was a little bit of power there. We don't think it's going to be better than average. It, it might actually end up being below average. Uh, but, you know, he puts bats ball really well. Um, he has a leg kick, but he sees the ball. He's got good bat speed. He could be pretty easily, and I said this in my write-up, but he could be a 300 hitter with a 400 OBP. It might come with like a 450 slugging, but still, like that, that has value in today's game. Um, I, I know not everybody loves average anymore, but reaching base at a 400 clip is going to get you places um, to speak to his place on the top 10 second base list. I think you kind of hit on it. Like that's just the fact that second base lists 
are typically deep in the minor leagues because you have a guy like Bryce Durang who might end up being a long-term second baseman um, just because, you know, like by the time he makes the major leagues, that's where he's going to be most needed. But um, a lot of major league second basemen came up as shortstops and we can't call them short. Uh, we can't call them second basemen until they've actually played their majority of the time. Tyler Black's a second baseman. Now that's where he best profiles. Um, so that hit tool is going to push him kind of the, towards the front of that conversation in a shallow list, but it is exciting to see what he can do and take that plus hit tool to the minor leagues. Cause I know at the end of last year, if you look at his stats, it, they weren't great, but from what I've heard, that was just a guy being gassed after a very long year. And that's why we don't typically look too deeply into uh, how a guy does immediately after being drafted. Yeah. But then if you're a guy like Sal Freelich who hits 330 and uh, like steals 10 bases. I yeah. Mean- I think <laughs> that's a good point. I think you can only help your profile if you do yeah. well after being drafted, especially sometimes guys are hurt. Like they need the extra t- the time or, you know, they didn't play much for whatever reason. Um, but even with a Freelich, like, he should probably be performing at a at a high A immediately coming out of a, a big time school, you know, big program, a good quality conference. Um, so unless he was going to do that at double A, which I was never going to happen, they were never going to send him to double A that quick. Uh, it just it reinforces what we thought, but it doesn't really change much of what we thought before. Yeah, because I mean, even if he came in and hit like, you know, 250, you know, to you know start his minor league career, he still probably would have been you know, up there around number one or, or number two at the very least uh, on this list. So, um, it, yeah, just reinforcing that. But w- one of the, uh, you know, I, I'm big on the international prospects, uh, clearly, by, by my love for Hedbert Perez there. And one of the other guys I, I love um, in this system is Jefferson Cuero, um, mm-hmm. because, you know, he's young, but he's he's a catcher and he's – pretty advanced for a catcher both defensively you know in terms of handling a pitching staff from what I've seen and offensively uh, seems like a really advanced player at a very young age um, in all these aspects a very tough position at catcher and Jefferson Cuero was all the way up at six uh, at your list and you know even though he's you know far away going to take a little bit um, but maybe potentially the Brewers catcher of the future. I know Matt's uh, has someone else in mind uh, for that designation already, <laughs> but um, Hefferson Cuero, uh, you know, he's someone that really kind of seems to be shooting up lists as well. Yeah, he definitely is. And, and it's all projection with him. He didn't play a ton last year because of uh, he had a concussion. He had a hamstring injury. He had a non-throwing shoulder injury as well that it required surgery. And I know a lot of Brewers folks are really frustrated that they just couldn't keep him on the field through a lot of freak injuries. It's not something like we can already put like a medical designation next to his name. It's like, Oh, I can't stay healthy. It's just kind of freak stuff. Um, but when he is on the field, it's, it's really fun to watch. He's a really quality catcher. It's a plus arm. I'm a sucker for a guy who walks more than he strikes out. Uh, at the lower levels. I always think that's a pretty positive indicator for the hitter that they could be. Even in those short looks last year in the ACL, that's what he was doing. Um, Maybe could grow into some power, but, you know, we're kind of in a renaissance right now for catching prospects. I think the, the, the catching market in the minor leagues is as good as it's been since I've been writing about the minor leagues for about 10 years now. Uh, And Carroll could very much be one of those guys. He, he fits, you know, all the indicators pretty well, can hit well, fields exceptionally well, throws exceptionally well. 
Uh, and once we see more of it and he can put those freak injuries further in the past, uh, yeah, he could definitely be one of the bigger names in, in this system and climb even above some of those other bigger ones ahead of Yeah, and the Brewers have a lot of, uh, you know, other international players. I'm going to talk uh, Perez. We talked to uh, Cuero. You got Hendry Mendez, who seems to have been shot out of a cannon. I mean, he already made a stateside <laughs> debut. Uh, you know, he was just signed in January 2021. He made a stateside debut later that year. Uh, Jackson Churio, uh, Eduardo Garcia, and then we got obviously uh, this year's guys, Johan Barrios, Johnny Severino. Um, you know, this Brewers International uh, scouting uh, department and, and the guys that they've signed in recent years, I mean, they're littered all over uh, this top 30. I mean, they're, they're still a ways away, but I mean, they're really supplementing the system with a lot of really good talent. Yeah. And I mean, even, you know, we were talking about Perez before. He wasn't a massive signing. Uh, when he first came through, seven hundred thousand dollars, which is yeah. big to you and me. Quero was two hundred thousand. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah. no, this Brewers International Scouts are are doing a very good job at finding uh, guys who can break out in in the minors. They might not be showing tools when they're 15, 16 years old, but there's something translatable there. There's something that they can mold, and you know that that's what makes good systems. Uh, one of the most frustrating things in this job was for years, the Baltimore Orioles were not active on the international market. <laughs> it, it's, it's not a secret to say like the Orioles had no international prospects for years and years. Um, that's starting to change. They're really investing now in Dominican, but um, you know, there's real opportunity there and there's some stars there as, as we've always seen. And uh, the Brewers are, are doing a good job. We'll see how some of these guys kind of crack through because the names we mentioned, we didn't have any of them in the top five, but Cuero has the potential to be there. Perez has the potential to be there. Maybe Mendez does too. I don't know. We'll see. I, 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 like you said, shot out of a rocket. Um, who knows where he goes next? Yeah, you, you had mentioned on Twitter that um, with Barrios and Severino, it was almost like a coin flip as to who got in there at uh, number 30. And it was almost similar in the international rankings. I believe they were 23 and 25. Is that correct, David? Something like that. I think so. Something like that. Yeah, right around there. What was it that had you decide to go with Barrios over uh, Severino? Yeah, that I last mean, spot? one of the, the great tiebreakers is, is to look at the bonus. I mean, that's not everything. But again, like the, the Brewers gave Barrios a higher bonus. Um, I think it was $1.385 million. Uh, that's what I have in my notes here. But um, so they obviously value him a touch better than Severino um, when it is that close. And we're trying to figure out the last spot. That's what I went with. Uh, if an Aaron Ashby graduates pretty early in 2022, Severino is likely going to be the next guy up. Um, and these guys will start to separate themselves once they see the DSL. But uh, that was the big tiebreaker for me. I, I knew I wanted to throw one of them on the end of the list. And I thought the guy who the Brewers obviously believe just touch more in right now to give him the bigger bonus, I think was a good sign and a good yeah. indication. Yeah, that certainly makes sense. And I mean, two very, very talented dudes. Um, and uh, another international guy, this wasn't one that the Brewers signed, rather one that they traded for. And one that, I mean, you mentioned earlier how you like it when guys walk more than they strike out. Well, that's Felix Valerio. Um, <laughs> the Brewers acquired him in the Keon Broxton trade. They, they stole him from the Mets uh, back when they had Brody Van Wagenen <laughs> as their GM. Um, and Valerio was like, oh, you know, he was, he was really kind of a lottery ticket. I mean, he was just in the DSL. Um, you know, it's like, oh, you know, five foot seven infielder, you know, and 
we'll see what happens. And sure enough, Felix Valerio comes seemingly out of nowhere. Um, and he has a fantastic season uh, in a ball walks more than he strikes out um, hit really well. And he earns a promotion to high a where all of a sudden he starts hitting with a bunch of power has five homers in 29 games and in, in high a um, you know, Felix Valerio jumps up to 12 on your, on your list when really um, basically prior to like, you know, in the midseason re-ranked last year, Valerio wasn't even on the list until uh, Benellis and Hamilton got traded away and he needed two new spots um, to, to fill. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Valerio was one of those where you see the numbers come through and you see the profile and you're just like, is this for real? And it took a little bit more digging um, and a little bit more time, honestly, to, for him to kind of really show that off to the point where it was, Oh no, it, it is real. Like he is a potential plus hitter. He, he can really hit, he can maybe be a 300 hitter at the major league level. Um, the questions about where he's going to fit defensively, it's probably a second baseman. They might throw him out some other spots. We'll see how that's going to go. Um, but like everything I've heard and read as the offseason went on was like, no, this guy's really going to hit it. And they really unearthed something here. Um, and I, I'm fascinated by that power jump that he had at, at high A, where that kind of came from. Is that sustainable? Probably not being a five foot seven guy. <laughs> um, but we've said that before with some other mighty mouses out there in baseball. So who knows? Uh, but yeah, just the more we dug into him, the more it seemed like he really was going to hit and the more and more we had to push him higher and higher up the list. Because like I was saying earlier, this was a fun group to get into that top 10 from 15 on down. It starts to be a lot of really, really tough questions. Um, I, I mean, I want to ask you about every single person on this list, <laughs> but I would be remiss if I didn't ask about my favorite guy here. Um, ever since 2019, I've been keeping tabs on Mario Feliciano when he uh, won Carolina League MVP. Um, mm-hmm. You missed the 2020 season. 2021 feels like, all right, is this guy going to be able to show enough to show that maybe he's the next catcher of the future for the Brewers? Then he ends up having kind of the shoulder injury. Um, he had a slow start as it was before that, um, comes back from it, has a, a pretty decent Arizona fall league. Um, what maybe can we expect from him this year? And does he have a catcher of the future ceiling? Is it more likely a backup catcher of the future for the Brewers? Something like that. Like what are, what are fair expectations for him? It, it's feeling more and more like backup uh, catcher for him, kind of a bat first type. The power is still maybe there, um, but you know, in the conversations I had last year, it, people were less optimistic about him than they were. Again, I, I think the last time we left him being in 2019 and, and doing really well, really well in Carolina League at high A was great. Um, the last year didn't necessarily help. The injuries last year didn't necessarily help. Is he going to be athletic enough to be a catcher? You know, maybe there's some even questions about him having to move over to first base at some point, which puts an extra stress on the bat. Uh, I, I'm not as bought in anymore so that he can be like an average major league catcher, an average major league starter. Uh, maybe a full season of health will help. I discount the AFL last year for guys who, who did decently well in really small samples like he did because everybody hit in the AFL last year. The yeah. AFL was not very good to pitchers. Uh, it was much better to hitters. So if you perform there, you had to be showing me something else. He didn't really do that. Um, so time is ticking with him right now. It's going to be his age 23 season. That's not really that old. It's not old for triple a, uh, maybe he can turn it around, but, uh, at this point last year, we thought, okay, maybe he could be 
a, an average major league catcher right now, it, it doesn't feel that way after the injuries and some of the really real big struggles he had offensively after them. Yeah. But I mean, perhaps it's just something where, you know, just being completely healthy and not dealing with any issues can, can help bring that bat back. And I mean, we, we've seen guys, you know, try to, play through injuries and, you know, it kind of doesn't go as well. And we've seen that with, uh, you know, Garrett Mitchell tried to play through his sickness and injuries, you know, didn't go as well. Corey Ray, when I, when he tries to play through injuries, he's really kind of fallen off. Um, and another one who's dealt with a bunch of injuries, Joe Gray Jr. Uh, his first two years <laughs> in the minor leagues. Um, he, I mean, he dealt with, what was it like pneumonia? Then he had like a hamstring issue or something. Right. Really I was going to say pneumonia is not even an injury. It's just like yeah. such a freak thing that happened and just sat like he lost lots and lots of weight. Cause he, it was just insane, but go on. Yeah. But yeah. So like, you know, Joe Gray, like his numbers, his first two seasons in rookie ball were like terrible. So it's just like, Oh, you know, this seemed like a wasted second round pick. And, you know, he starts in low a in 2021 and all of a sudden he's like the Carolina league MVP or low a East or whatever, but now it's back to Carolina league, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. But uh, he was a stud uh, in Carolina. And, you know, he was hitting for power. He was hitting for average, had speed, everything. You know, it, it looked fantastic. You know, they, they're, they were chanting his name in, in Zebulon, North Carolina. <laughs> um, and he, then he gets promoted to, to high A, you know, well-deserved promotion. And then he kind of drops back off. He hits like 220. The on-base percentage drops like 100 points, doesn't hit for as much power. Um, so... What, what do we make of Joe Gray Jr.? You know, is, is he the guy that he was in low A? Is he more the guy he was in high A? Is he somewhere in between? Is he a future big league starter? Is he a backup guy? What, what, do, we, what do you make of Joe Gray Jr. as a prospect? I mean, whenever the question with prospects is, is he this high or is he this low? The answer is always or mostly going to be in between. Uh, and for him last year, some of the things I was hearing was that he was somebody who – you mentioned all the issues he had in his first couple of years and all of a sudden he was healthy again and he was performing and he was riding that high at low a got sent to high a got challenged like you do. That's the reason why he gets sent there and really pressed to make up for those lost results. It, it seems like he was really trying to push himself, getting you know frustrated with strikeouts, um, trying to do too much. I know that's kind of a cliche, but sometimes when you're a hitter and you're trying to make up, 30, 40 points of average and one at bat, it's, it's never going to happen. And you're only going to go further South. Um, that led kind of his strikeout issues. He went to the AFL last year. I know he was super excited to go. Uh, the Brewers had an open spot after somebody dropped out. They asked him and he was like, yes, let me do it. I want to make up for even more lost time. And he was gassed even more there. Um, so I think what's going to end up happening with him, yeah, he's probably not going to hit that much, but the power is still there. The run is still there. Arms good. Um, I think he could end up being a major league fourth outfielder. Maybe if he puts in some hitting improvements, kind of recenters himself, uh, as it sounds like he's done um, now that he's seen high A, now that he's struggled there, realizes, you know, he needs to be a little bit more patient with himself. Maybe he ends up being, you know, your third best outfielder in a major league outfield. But all the other tools are there for him to be a really quality backup and, and maybe like a you know righty, lefty, platoon guy. Um, but I'm more excited about him this year than I was last year at the beginning of the year. And the fact that we're talking about him as a prospect again is certainly exciting stuff given the start to his career. Um, if I had one more specific guy I had to ask about, it's it's got to be because he's a high-octane 
reliever type guy because Brewers love uh, high relievers who can either throw fast or make batters look silly or both. Mm-hmm. And the Brewers have a guy who throws really, really fast in Abner Uribe. Um, when he burst onto the scene, we'd kind of, you know, heard little musings about him, but the first time people saw him throw was just wow. Um, he struck out a lot of guys. He also walked quite a bit of guys. Um, if he gets that control under control for lack of a better word, um, like what is this guy's ceiling uh, considering the stuff that he has? I mean, it's, it's clearly like closer stuff. I mean, that's, that's where we start. Like it's, it's an 80 grade fastball. One of the easiest 80 grade fastballs I've ever given out. Um, it's a potential plus slider. Those two things are good enough. Like you're talking basically Araldis Chapman with a right arm instead of a left arm at that point, he's a little smaller than Aralis Chapman at six foot two, but still like that's the level or quality of stuff we're talking about here. He just really struggles to find the zone. He, he's somebody who's like, I'm going to throw it past you. And that's just what I am good at. And that's how I'm going to get you. And, you know, sometimes that, that can certainly work uh, if you have the gas like he does, but if you're not locating well, even at the lower levels, they're going to know, Hey, maybe I don't need to take the bat off my back to w- really work against this guy. Um, they sent him to the AFL last year. The gas showed up there. I think he had like 13 of the 14 hardest throws that StatCast measured <laughs> in the AFL. Um, not a huge surprise, but still, it's good to have that hard data on file. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's potential closer stuff, and it's also potential two years from now we're talking about whatever happened to that Abner Uribe guy because he walked, he averaged you know seven walks per nine and couldn't crack above double A. Yeah. I mean, and of those 13 hardest throws, how many were strikes? You know, that, that's kind of the, yeah, right, the big right. thing. Cause if it's, if it's up and away or, you know, if it's, you know, up near someone's ear hole, uh, it, it's not really super, super helpful. I mean, the Brewers have had a couple of those guys. I remember back in like, you know, the early uh, prospect days, you know, I'm not that early, but like uh, Damian Magnifico, like way back in the day, he could throw hundred miles an hour. Did he make it very far? No, because he really had <laughs> no command. So, right. so yeah, if he can figure out where that where a hundred miles an hour is going, then yeah, I, I think he's going to be um, good. But yeah, it's it's a long way, and command is not easy to learn, especially when you throw one hundred and three miles an hour. No, but you know, learning to throw one hundred three miles an hour isn't easy to learn either. Uh, and that's that's why we we rank them just because it is so special and it's not something that can be just taught it's it's a lot of raw skill uh and you hope you can hone that as things go along because that's a that's a great starter kit to be or to, to have uh if you're going to be a reliever this early in your career yeah absolutely and uh, you have a couple other guys on this top 30 list that are uh probably projected future uh, bullpen arms and you know it seems like every year the brewers have one or two random minor leaguers that come out of nowhere and just end up being stud bullpen arms for them i mean we saw jake cousins come up last year he wasn't on anyone's prospect lists uh then all of a sudden he just kind of came up and uh turned out to be pretty much a stud i don't don't think he gave up a a run for his first 17 appearances Mm -hmm. or something like that right about Um, that he just kind of came out of nowhere um, so you had a, a couple of guys. I, th- I feel like you're taking a, you know, a stab at, you know, who might be that next bullpen arm to really kind of jump up. You got Taylor Floyd and Cam Robinson, who are somewhat close to the big leagues. Um, they got some good stuff, um, you know, but they seem, you know, like like bullpen arms. 
Uh, and it's like, you know, are those kind of the next guys that you're thinking that are going to come up to this Brewers bullpen and, and just have really uh, strong starts to their career? Yeah, I mean, Taylor Floyd, I, I was really happy to kind of sneak him in there just because I'm a sucker for these guys who have really good sliders and just rely on that for funk. Um, just somebody who really understands his stuff and wor- what works best for him. It's coming out of basically a borderline submarine delivery. Uh, it's really fun to watch. If you ever get a chance, anybody listening at home, go look up Taylor Floyd highlights. Um, it's really neat. And it's just kind of crazy to me that he almost uses the slider like a primary pitch because he trusts it so much, even though it has such break. Um, that I, I think when you get towards the bottom of these lists and, and David, I don't know how you treat yours, um, but sometimes you want to just find the guys who you think, yeah, this guy is going to be a major league contributor. Yeah. You might try to find some starters at the lower levels who could make it through or whatever um, with some tweaks. But it, when you have somebody like Taylor Floyd, who kind of like we were saying before with Freelick, like it's very clear exactly the path he's going to take and he could end up being a setup guy. And that holds value in today's game. Like then why not rank him here? Why not put the guy that fans are actually probably going to see in Milwaukee someday uh, towards your, the bottom of your list. So that's, that's how he sneaks on here. Cam Robinson kind of same way. Uh, I, I can see him being a, a reliever in Milwaukee within the next year, year and a half. Uh, and when I know basically what their roles are going to be, I feel a little bit more comfortable ranking those guys than somebody with some crazy wide variants um, who might be a starter and, you know, as we've been saying, might flame out at double A. Is there anyone besides those couple? And then we obviously mentioned Ashby and Small earlier. Um, anyone besides that group? Um, possibly a Bryce Terang who maybe could sneak their way onto the Brewers roster and see some major league appearances this year that maybe we're not quite thinking about, um, or is this more just a group of, you know, it's a lot of young guys with a lot of promise, but is there anyone who could maybe sneak out and see a game or two here? Um, let me just kind of looking at the list right now. I mean, Mitchell, like maybe by the end of the season, if those things kind of, Rack into place. Anybody who I think finishes a year at double A could see the majors the following year. Uh, I'm going to be real interested. I don't think he's going to do it this year. I think he needs to be healthy, but Antoine Kelly, if he's healthy, he could kind of move quick. You know, he's 22 now The further. He gets away from thoracic outlet, which is, is a scary term. And I know that, um, but it seems like the stuff is tar- starting to come around with him again. It was really good stuff before that issue. If it comes back even a little bit, if he starts to find a little bit of control, I wouldn't be surprised if they just turn him into a reliever and say like, hey, health is an issue with you. Here's where we know you can play. Though the fastball and slider, a bunch of them are going to, we'll have you in Milwaukee by the end of the year. Maybe he's a, a kind of sleeper in that aspect. He just needs to establish health. And uh, so that's, he, he's one I would keep an eye on. Yeah, friend of the podcast, Antoine Kelly, by the way, and, and, you know, we had him on and, you know, he was telling us, you know, he was super rusty last year. I mean, you look at his stats yeah, and it's just like, oh, geez. Um, but, you know, he was telling us, you know, kind of the same thing. It's like he almost kind of prefers uh, to be a reliever uh, and would like to be a reliever going forward. And now, granted, also, you look at this Brewers rotation and who they currently have, plus Ashby and Small lined up. There's not really going to be much of an opening in that Brewers yeah. rotation uh, <laughs> yeah. for, for the next few years to come. So uh, reliever might, you know, really might make a good role. And relievers can move up a lot faster uh, than, than starters can. 
Yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, cause just, there's so many more roles for relievers, right. Mm. Um, and relievers can be fickle. So it's, it, you never know who's going to flame out as a reliever at the major league level. And their guys are always popping in and out of that. Um, that's where your pitching depth is most often tested. It's, it's not always in the rotation, but you know, major league winners, major league success stories in the, the postseason are defined by how many guys can you go to in the bullpen and really trust in those situations. If it's three and you've burned all three by the sixth inning, you're going to lose. Um, so, you know, finding somebody like a Kelly who could thrive in that role. And if he's all ears on it, um, you know, maybe they try it out with him earlier than expected, but I do think he's like too far right now to really start that conversation. I'm sure they're going to want to try to get him every fifth or sixth day um, just to get him built up and, and get some success under, as a starter under his feet again. But I would like to see it and uh, I would like to see him healthy first. Yeah, it's certainly going to be huge for him. And I'd love to see Antoine Kelly healthy because he is nasty when he's out there on the mound. Um, so one, one kind of more thing here I want to ask is we kind of, you know, we're going to the, the end of the podcast here and, and of course, the, the end of the top 30 list. Who are some of the guys that, that just missed for you? You know, they're kind of in that 31 to 35 range. You know, we talked about Johnny Severino, uh, who's likely going to be moving up there once uh, uh, Aaron Ashby graduates um but you know who are some of the other guys that, that might be moving up um that, that just missed this list uh they're just outside the top 30 for you that have a chance to to work their way onto it throughout the season yeah uh Hayden Cantrell was a was a late cut um for me the numbers obviously were not there last year mm-hmm. uh somehow they promoted him you know we were talking about Bryce he drew Brand. walks he drew walks that's the thing yeah right <laughs> And uh, the story I heard was that he got called into the manager's office or whatever to be told he's moving up. And he thought he was being sent down, Uh, (laughs) which like, I can't say I fully blame him. I I don't think he was hitting 200 at the time. There are other ways to contribute offensively, but it sounds like some of the Brewers internal metrics on him make him seem better than he is. Um, I just want to see him do it first. I want to see him show a little bit of bat because he's a good runner. He has a good arm. Um, decent chance he sticks as a shortstop. So he's kind of one of the first ones off uh, for me. And then Hobie Harris, a minor league free agent they signed, um, got kind of a splitter, sits around 97. Like th- there's some interesting pieces there. You want to talk about relief types who I think could could make the jump. He's in that list as well. Uh, and then some of the others we dropped off, Jeremy Vargas we dropped off last year because he had a really rough ACL. Uh, Luis Medina, a big signing from them. Uh, a couple of years ago, he's another player who really struggled in the ACL. Those guys might just need time, um, but you know we're going to give it to them now. Now that they're off the top thirty, and, and maybe they play their way back on. All right, I, I got one final thing uh, that I want to ask you here uh, before we finish up. Who is your favorite prospect in this system? Not who, not who's the best prospect. But who is just your favorite one, your favorite one to, to watch, to evaluate, uh, to look at? Who's your favorite Brewers prospect? So anybody who follows me on Twitter might know that I just love Joey Weimer. <laughs> Joey Weimer is <laughs> my enough. guy. Somebody who just like, I've seen other people describe him this way. I think I thought of this first, but it's probably not an original thought. He plays like his hair's on fire. He's just playing every Every at-bat, every outfield play, every throw, every base running opportunity, like it's his last. He gives 100% effort 
on everything. Um, hopefully that doesn't work to his detriment. Like hopefully he doesn't go flying into a wall or something like that or swing too hard or whatever. Um, but I just love guys like that where you, you can tell they love playing baseball. You can tell they're giving everything. Um, and he's all the way tooled up. It's just the hit tool that we need to see. But um, yeah, I, I love guys like that where you can just see multiple ways that they're going to contribute and that they're always trying to contribute at the same time. Yeah. I remember when I saw him in, uh, in Wisconsin, you know, I went to Timber Rattlers game and he was on deck. I was sitting behind home plate and he took a, you know, a practice swing on deck and I could like feel it. I was like 50, 60 feet away. And I could just hear the, like, the, <laughs> like, <laughs> like it is just a full, like thunderous swing. I'm just like, Oh my God. Like I, like, I could feel the air move. I, I could feel a breeze over here from that hack. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. And, and, you know, when we talked to him about it, he's like, that's the only way I know how to swing. Just, just hundred yeah. percent. Like, you know, a, any other way I wouldn't be able to succeed. Yeah. I mean, that was one of the, the mantras of the brewer system. I think last year was let Joey Weimer be Joey Weimer. Um, and obviously the, the adjustments helped him unlock a lot of things, but if this is who he's going to be, because he's given that, that type of effort in everything he's doing, then go with God, go, go be yourself and, and get us, you know, a potential uh, long time outfielder out and right. Um, the only other question I wanted to ask, I know we've touched on a whole lot of guys here. Um, is there anyone left that we haven't talked about that you feel like Brewers fans should be excited for excited to watch anything like that? Any, any final, final thoughts, I guess. Um, just one more, I guess, real quick is, uh, Freddie Zamora, I think he's another one that I kind of have circled just to see what he's going to be like. The stuff I heard from him is that he got better as the year went on, the further he got away from a torn at ACL, um, almost because it was like a mental issue more than a physical issue. Just knowing that you had a major knee issue like will slow you down. Uh, and somebody who relies on the run tool, like that's a big deal. Um, but I think I'm talking before about a lot of guys who just need to show they're healthy. I think he's going to be fully healthy this year. He's going to see double A for the first time. Maybe he enters this mix as one of their really promising shortstop uh, prospects. But I think just being another year removed from that ACL injury is going to do wonders for Freddie Zamora. Yeah, I think it was the Brewers uh, batting champion in the minor leagues last year of anyone with more than like 150 at bats or something. Because he had like he had like 300, I think. Yeah, and 300 on the dot, apparently. Yeah, so if you can hit 300 – uh, you're going to find your way into the lineup pretty much yep. every single day. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and like, you know, like I was saying, he, he got better as the year went on. So who knows, like if that year would have happened two years removed from the ACL, maybe we're talking about him hitting 310, 320, uh, which is a scary thought. Uh, scary thought for other teams. It's very happy. Yeah, thought right, for us. right. Right. <laughs> I love right. It. Right. All right. So I think that'll, uh, I think that'll be a good spot to, to wrap up this week's episode. Sam Dykstra, MLB.com. Thanks so much, man, for taking the time with us to to hop on the pod and, and talk uh, some Brewers prospects. Put out an excellent list, uh, Brewers top thirty uh, for at, at MLB Pipeline. Thanks so much, man, for, for hopping on the pod. Yeah, no, thanks so much for having me. Um, thanks so much for reading our our top thirty, and yeah, hopefully we can talk again whenever we update this list again. And hopefully, guys are moving all over the place, mostly for positive reasons. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see if we lose uh, any in trades as, as well, you know, like uh, Benellis or, or Hamilton and, you know, hopefully not too many, but also I want a world series here. So that's yeah. really kind of all the, <laughs> right. 
that's kind of all that matters to me. So if we have to lose them for a World Series, that's fine. But we better win it. Um, that's all I'm going to say on that. Anyways, so that'll do it for us uh, this week uh, on the Cold Brew Podcast. Thank you to Sam. So for Sam, for Matt Carroll, I'm Dave Gasper. We'll see you next time for another episode of the Cold Brew Podcast. <laughs>